0: Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Chris Delano. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Carrie Thomas. Uh and I just realized that we went out of order. Um, yeah. but that's fine. That's fine. You know, without the the guiding hand of Lorelai and Jay here to make sure we stay focused and and on pattern, uh things just go kind of wild. Time to party. Grill <laughs> time. Woo! Well, we are talking about a festival today, but not one I want to attend. Um, so uh, I guess for news this week, um, Worlds happened. There's still a professional play scene for Magic the Gathering. Uh, just happened over this past weekend. I don't know anything about it. Uh, but congratulations, and or I'm sorry for that, for uh, anyone who competed. Um, but uh, any
1: news from y'all? Ah. I was gonna make a Smash Brothers joke, but no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, can't couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Bellaran in Smash Brothers. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe it either. I, I'm mad that it, Urbosa didn't make it. Ugh. God, Urbosa would have been great. I mean, like, I'm glad they went out on a big note, but at the same time, uh, you know, there, there's still a lot of a lot of characters that people uh, were praying and hoping for: Crash Bandicoot, Halo Man. Calistroca. Calistroca, even you know (laughs) all
0: right so uh this week we are discussing uh episode four of the main story for innistrad midnight hunt uh we are not a super smash brothers podcast um and also the uh fourth side story uh both of them by authors that we've already had in midnight hunt so that's really cool Uh, We have for episode four, Harvest Tide by K. Arseno Rivera. And then uh, the side story of the week is The Dance of Undeath by Seanan McGuire, who also wrote Tangles, which was the uh, Renin Seven story. So that's cool. I'm glad that we have both of them. Uh, So if you have not read the stories, uh, prepare to be spoiled or stop listening. Those are your options right now, because we're going to jump headfirst into Harvest Tide. Uh, So Harvest Tide, the last story left off. Uh, with our band of heroes and adventurers getting the moon silver key from uh, Soren's bedroom, because just like his journal, he just kept it locked away for uh, himself. And it was very rude of them, but they took it. Uh, This story starts off with Olivia Voldaren for some reason. Um, Reminder, Olivia Voldaren is still on Innistrad. Uh, She's going to play a part in the story probably next week. We'll find out. Uh, But it starts off with her... Having like a little at-home spa day, you know, kind of just relaxing. Um, she has on a face mask. She's taking a bath. The face mask is made of someone's face, and the <laughs> bath is just blood. But she's uh, she's just relaxing. Um, Living her best on life. Absolutely. Well, no, the vampires in Estrad aren't undead, somehow. <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's just chilling, relaxing, being Olivia Voldaren, being lovely. Uh, suddenly one of her underlings who is also like her furniture maker who um, makes furniture out of bones which was you know fun little detail Uh, he runs in and disrupts her she has to keep her face very calm because she doesn't want to ruin this face mask that she worked so hard pulling off of someone's head Um, it's very funny Uh, but also very grim Uh, and he tells her that the humans are having a festival and they made like a giant effigy of her and uh, he killed the person who told him about it and burned the effigy. Uh, uh, but the more important thing is that these uh, humans were talking about the Moon Silver Key, specifically some outsiders that he ran into, including a woman with flaming hair, which didn't seem to bother Olivia at all. Um, she tells him not to worry about it. Uh, don't you know, interrupt them and let them do the work for her, uh, which makes you think, what's going to happen? What does this mean? What are they up to? What does Olivia know that we don't know? All good questions, but the important thing is that this little servant calls her uh, Lady Voldaren, which she interrupts him to inform him that it is the most illustrious and powerful Lady Voldaren. Thank you very much, which was uh, very on point for evil vampire lady. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we go back to the the Harvest Tide to the Celestis, and uh, there's the witches are all hard at work uh, preparing for the festival. We get. Some really beautiful writing. And once again, I want to remind everyone listening that we're basically just covering like plot points and little snippets. But please read the stories because I can never do really justice to the writing in this story. Uh, K.R. Snow Rivera does this beautiful, beautiful way of writing about hope and endurance and perseverance. And uh, the language is fantastic. And I uh, am just going to tell you that they were carving pumpkins, but it's so much more than that. Um, but there's a witch, uh, Diadama, uh, and they have a friend, Shauna, and Shauna's making, like, spiced apple cider, and Diadama's carving pumpkins, and they're, like, entertaining people. Uh, they're wondering when they're supposed to put their masks on, but they know they have to wait until the key is there, uh, and that's when the heroes arrive with the key, and there's all sorts of, like, yay, look at the heroes, they're here, uh, and then the next thing we know, Diadama feels something break. And that's when she knows, or that's when they know, excuse me, that one of the wards has fallen uh, and the howling starts. Oh, Yes, just like that. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that's when the werewolves are breaking down the barrier. So uh, Arlen and crew notice this. They believe, you know, the werewolves are here. They're smashing on the barrier. The wards are breaking. Uh, so Arlen sends Kaya to take the key to Catilda. And Chandra and Adeline just run to the front line together on Adeline's horse, which is, uh, they're dating. It's a date. It's a first date. Um, Arlen is, uh, frozen in place though. And, and like she can feel her wild side being pulled in different directions. Like she can feel this building hunt and this like sort of pull towards the werewolves. Uh, but she's starting, she's resisting it. And Teferi gives her some encouragement. He he tells her that he owes her a long sunset uh, and he tells the witches to begin their ritual as he starts doing some time magic to buy them time and to also uh, protect people. Let's slow things down. Teferi is absolutely one of the most powerful people in all of Innistrad right now. And it's kind of scary when you consider how he is literally slowing down time uh, just with his own magic. Um, but the the werewolves end up breaking through the barrier and the fight begins. And the scary thing is that these werewolves are like huge and ferocious, and they're tearing people to shreds. And they haven't even transformed yet. Uh, some of them have, I think. Is the like the feel I got was that some of the werewolves had transformed.
2: I'm not sure. Like what I got out of that is that they hadn't transformed yet because some of them were like mid transformation because it's the fairy slowing things down. Like that's what I got out of it. But like I also want to point a. a some focus on the fact that there were some werewolf shamans who were in charge of breaking down the barriers. Because it it's like when you think of werewolves, you're thinking about brute strength and whatnot. And I never really considered the fact that there were shamans who were like doing like offensive casting to bring down those wards. And until the story pointed them out, I was like, oh, that that's interesting and terrifying at the same time.
0: Yeah, that was uh Tovalar's whole thing. Was the Mondrinen Hellpack was all about shamanistic magic um and like blood magic and things like that if i remember correctly um so it makes sense that they'd have shamans but like it is true when i think of werewolves i think of like giant monsters and like fangs and teeth and claws and not careful counter magic abilities um, <laughs> but it doesn't matter cuz they shatter it and like you know the barrier falls like uh, little shards of glass basically uh and the werewolves run in and they start fighting and they they haven't turned yet Uh, Teferi's magic is helping slow down the assault but the the humans really are no match for them on their own Uh, the only reason why these humans are holding out on this onslaught is because of uh, the aid from the planeswalkers Uh, without Chandra there without Teferi uh, without Adeline who's not a planeswalker uh, but she needs to learn how to planeswalk because like you know she's gonna want to go with Chandra other places like just hanging out on Innistrad's not that fun Um, God
2: knows the dating opportunity or the date restaurants are not great on Innistrad
0: yeah you can't really like go to the big city to get a to get a meal because you just might get eaten on the way um
1: but and also i think their biggest city is just dead yeah, so. yeah
0: you know i'm i am a little curious about like how the rest of this world is reacting to the fact that like their capital city is just like swamped with zombies and anyways um back to the story we'll talk about that in the next story uh but back to the story uh Arlen ends up in a fight with one of the dire werewolves who has not changed yet, but we know that the dire werewolves are already like giant hulking beasts, even when in their human form. Uh, And Arlen ends up getting into a tussle with them, kind of beats them back, and uh, he ends up dying with the help of some Cathars. But before he does, he calls her Tovalar's favorite, uh, which is kind of like rubs her the wrong way because she doesn't think she's Tovalar's favorite. She She's pretty sure that her and Toval are enemies in some ways. Um, and she finds out pretty quickly because she gets in a fight with him. Uh, she finds him standing pretty calmly amongst all of the, the werewolves going on. Uh, and she spends quite a bit of while thinking about their past and the nature of their relationship uh, and her own nature. Uh, we get a sort of a flashback to the scene where she had killed all of those people in Kessig. And we get sort of a, a sense that uh, from that moment on, she really felt a huge gulf between her and Tovalar. Um, she she sort of lets, weaving into the fight that they're having, and this is another reason why you really should read it, because it it sort of beautifully just melts into this backstory. We don't get a flashback. We just get Arlen thinking about things that have happened. And one of the things that had happened was she apparently had ch- like challenged Tovalar to be Alpha, and at the end of that fight, Tovalar was scarred and beaten, but he wasn't dead. And Arlen left him there and she wasn't defeated. So the result was kind of no result at all. Um, but kind they like get into the this sp-
2: moment where he gets thrown off the waterfall, but he's not really dead yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't think Tovalar's is really a Black Panther character here. I think he's um, he's, I he's clearly yeah. Killmonger here yeah, I think he's more the killmonger, and Arlen is the Black Panther, but neither of them are panthers because they're werewolves, which are dogs.'
2: You're right anyways
0: <laughs> it, it I understand like it gets it works. um but anyways, uh now I'm just thinking about Marvel movies. uh the the fight continues between them. Um is trying to pull out Arlen's uh, what he thinks is her true nature. Uh, she doesn't think he knows her at all. Uh they fight. Uh, in their human form, Arlen is kind of beating him back pretty pretty solidly. He's She's, she's getting some good hits on him. He's fallen back a little bit. Um, but she knows that her wolves are there. And she gets a little bit distracted because she hears the howl of her wolves, uh, who we met in the first story with her. And that's when Tovalar begins to change. And night actually falls. Uh, Chandra calls out for some aid. But Arlen is a bit overwhelmed because now Tovalar is in his full dire werewolf form Uh, and she is no match for him she tries her best and she sort of guards herself with a sword uh but there's nothing she can do to stop him uh he says to her you're a wolf she says i never said i wasn't and he says then show me uh and that's when we get the sort of flashback scene it's not really a flashback where arlen had challenged tovalar before um and then her wolves show up uh all of them except for patience are sort of like begging her to join them in this hunt that they're doing in this fight uh and she knows that she can't explain to them why they have to protect these distrustful humans and not play with their you know wolf friends uh but she tells them that she can't and they all turn on her uh, except for patience patience is willing to wait uh yeah patience best dog so far i Um, think it would
1: have been better if like the real nice wolf was like named like Aggression, just like <laughs> like uncontrollable, and it's just like, oh no, I'm chill, like I'm <laughs> I'm perfectly fine doing what you're doing.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, and then the one wolf who waited for her murder I... murder machine, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> blood face, <laughs>
2: taser face, <laughs>
0: um, but they 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 knock. Uh, Arlen to the ground and Tovalar uh, puts his knee on her back and like puts his claws at her throat and sort of demands that she change and show him the real Arlen. Uh, and then we get this little uh, bit at the end right before the story ends, which I think is uh, excellent. Uh, Arlen, in and, and, and her point of view, says, uh, or thinks, uh, is that what he wants then? She'll give it to him. Not because he asks for it. Not because her wolves are desperate to see it. Not because she wants to prove something. But because in some ways, he's right. The two of them are wolves. And she sees now that it was only ever going to end like this. By blood and fang and claw. The sun sinks below the horizon. Day changes to night, And Arlen Cord changes with it. Uh, and that's the end of the story. God, Kay is such a good writer. (laughs) Cue the X gonna give it to you. Yeah, like I'm like so hyped for the next episode, and I want to read it, but I have to wait because I read them every week as we record the podcast. And I'm like, but after
1: this one, you don't really have to wait. You could just read it twice.
0: (laughs) I guess. Um, But this this story is so good. This is like excellent writing. I just I loved it all the way through.
2: Yeah, definitely. One of my favorite stories. Um, I, I really like the like the perspective it gives us of how Arlen is viewing this whole conflict, and it, it, like I really love um, the dilemma it puts her in because you know throughout the entire Innistrad block story, she's constantly been at odds with her her werewolf side versus her care for humanity, and it just really put some emphasis on the wildness part of her and how she views it, especially the ending. And can't wait to see what happens next week. Or I guess after, I, I don't know. I'm doing Chris's method and is kind of throwing me for a loop.
1: <laughs> I think it's important that magic has finally gotten a villain who gets to chuckle and say, show me your true power and just gets to taunt the <laughs> hero endlessly until she does show him his, or her true power. And then gets to annihilate him for good. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like Tovalar continues to be an actually compelling villain <laughs> in the story. And, um, yeah, like the whole mainline story up to um, this week and also next week um, has been outstanding. And it's just, you know, it's good to have a continuation. Like, it's good to, <laughs> it's good to know that we're going to have essentially 10 sets of mainline or 10 stories of mainline story instead of only the five and then we have to like wrap up and move on to a new world it really does just give time for like week-to-week cliffhangers and also like the the mid -mid mid-season finale cliffhanger so i i
0: appreciate that it gives us time to really appreciate the tovalar and arlen dynamic um because like this whole story, and I feel like this was true for the last week's too, there's not like, I mean, there's big moments that happen, but it doesn't feel like huge, like plot moving throughout one story. It's just like, we are getting a story where important things are happening, but really when it comes to the plot, the main thing that happens in the story is just the werewolves get in, right? Yeah. There's there's not like a million pieces that are happening all in this one story. It's just the werewolves break into the festival. Um, but- it's excellent because we get all of this time for like arlen sort of suffering with this dual nature and dealing with her past with tovalar and we get all of these like little details about the the werewolves and their relationship with the humans even just through arlen's eyes and it's so it's good and it's really nice to be able to like sit with something rather than having only five stories wherein you have to tell an entire plot
1: Yes. Um, Here's because, my, yeah. my piping hot take, is that this is the opposite of War of the Spark Ravnica. You get to see the characters be exactly who we know that they are, and you also get, like, a good story, and it's not overwhelmed by the need to include story beats that, like, each of them are a world-shaking moment, you know? It, um, it just genuinely feels like <laughs> the perfect mix of story and story beats where you can actually tell a story that is meaningful without um, kind of just going from point a to point b to point c to point d to point e where um, i guess the story spotlight cards kind of pushed into in the past like you always knew that there was this thing cupping and then this thing was going to happen next and then we're going to this event and yeah it just feels a lot more fluid and like all together and again i think that's in part attributed to just like the space that has to breathe
0: (laughs) yeah i um i just love it i think it's great uh tovalar is an excellent red green villain too which is like you were saying like he's just a great villain for the story and part of what makes him so great is that like his motivation isn't super like he doesn't have like a plot like he doesn't have like a Ah, then the next part of my scheme is this. Tovalar's mm-hmm. just like, I'm here to fuck shit up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like
1: like he knows that he knows it should be this way, so he is making it this way. He's not like there's no scheme behind it, and the easiest way to get there is brute force. So
0: Yeah, I love it. Such a good red-green villain. I'm I'm glad that we don't have like a scheming mastermind with a million Plots going on. It's just Tovalar is here to smash things up. Uh, and he's going to make Arlen do it too, apparently. That's his goal.
2: No mustache twirling here.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, the Dance of Undeath by and
2: McGuire. So we begin this, the Dance of Undeath with uh, Gisa being dramatically bored and sending letters to <laughs> her brother, uh, Gralf, uh as she's lording over the city with no one left to really uh, like I, I don't even know what to call it like she has no one left to challenge her for authority I guess and Garof is completely over the whole shenanigans so she's continuously writing him letters and he's like nope don't I, I want no part of this you 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 dug your grave you can sit in it um, and you know there, there's not many people left in Thraben, and the few that are, no, I think the, I think everyone's dead. Is it is, mm-hmm. remembering? Yeah, everyone is dead, and like she doesn't want to go afield because you know that just means it's spreading her thin, and then the, the eventuality of rot weakening her army, she's not really about that. So she's like, I, I, I'm just gonna stay here and um and then chill for a while, but then. Uh, some like zombie army w- marches up, especially the, w- led by someone riding a, a horse y- using this awesome-looking glinting axe, magical glowing axe, and she can see it from where she's lamenting the fact that Garof is not corresponding with her anymore. You know, I always wondered how she's corresponding. Like, is she sending undead
0: birds or...? Absolutely. it is it is a zombie bird or a zombie horse or something that just drops its way we do have
1: uh messenger from the original set um very very good card but yeah i think that was just like a human zombie (laughs) courier yeah but where's geese's messenger like that's that's what we need it'd be too unbalanced you know but
0: (laughs) Now, Geese's messenger has to be uh, mono blue because Garrosh's messenger was mono black for some oh, reason. Because no. <laughs> like I,
2: you, you would think that Garrosh doesn't even want to send a messenger anymore just because he doesn't want to be bothered. So it's like, where, where, wh- where is Geese's messenger? And what is it? What does it look like? I want to know. These are things that I think about. <laughs> um, so back to our zombie leader. So basically, this guy has somehow come back as a zombie after being crushed by a falling tree after running into Gisa and immediately falling in love with her because she uh, she's basically the only person to have not fallen for her advances in life, basically. Um so <laughs> Wilthelt um is like he's smitten and he will not be denied and he he's here to to steal her heart and prove that even in undeath he's a willing or he's a worthy he's worthy of her time and attention and not be a thrall. Um so in the meantime, Gisa's uh right writing back to Garalf that he's abandoned her to boredom and she, he, she even considers creating a force to oppose her, but she's like, no, I can't, I'm not going to do
1: that. That's just dumb. I think I've listed these out of order actually.
0: (laughs) No, there's like a, there's, there's like a little intermediary scene uh, after we get introduction to will where there's another letter back and forth, which is funny because the last letter girl off ended with do not contact me. Um, (laughs) And then she sends them another letter anyways. Uh, and she's just bored and she wants like she wants something to do. And she can't just like fight her own zombies against her own zombies because like where's the fun in that? And like it's not really worth it to just sacrifice all of her creations like that. Um
2: clearly she wouldn't have made it far on the cabal because that's all they did, right?
0: <laughs> and then like Groff is just like, you know, this is what you wanted all along. So uh you dug your own grave, now you get to rotten it. <laughs> but we know nothing nothing stays in a grave with Gisa around. But yeah, there's that little like exchange before uh before Wilhelt shows up in Thraben.
2: So as Gisa notices him and decides to approach and meet him at the gate of Thraben, which is all but collapsed, except for this really good door that Wilhelt will eventually have to break through. She's talking to Wilhelm who she calls Will Ham after he <laughs> introduces himself. And there's this mental or not mental, but verbal sparring uh, because she is very clear in her fat uh, in the fact that she still does not find him the least bit interesting. And because she's vain and she doesn't need that in her life, basically. So she whistles to try to gain control of all of his troops, but miraculously he is strong enough to maintain control of himself and his army and uh he's like i'm gonna prove that i'm worthy of your attention and uh basically he's like i'm worthy of your respect and you're beautiful i'm beautiful let let, let's 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 make things happen and she's like no i'm good and he she decides you know what this is a challenge. I need this. I'm this is at least interesting. So she departs and Wild help decides to follow. So he breaks down the door and begins
0: his siege. She gets what she wants. Gisa gets what she wanted, which was a, a siege on Thraben for her to defend against. Um so good for her. It's not, you know, her brother's creations, but it'll work.
2: So as Wildhelt advances through the city, he decides that, you know, he doesn't really want to fight. And he doesn't want to uh waste his troops or whatever, so he sends a messenger of his own, which again we didn't get a card for, which I'm very disappointed. Will help's messenger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Every ghoul caller and scabberin in this whole town gets a messenger, apparently.
2: Look, I need this, Chris. I Ludovic's <laughs> messenger.
0: What's that that new one? There's a new uh there's like a new ghoul caller in this set. He's gonna get a messenger.
2: No, that that I thought that was Will Help. I thought.
0: No, there's a there's a new one in the actual set. Um, what's his name? Oh,
2: Jeral or something, right? Uh, uh
0: God, What is his name? Uh, Jadar. Jadar. Ghoul Caller of Nefalia. Yeah, he's a he's a cool guy. He's He's got a messenger, I'm sure.
2: One would hope. <laughs> it probably has decayed, though. <laughs> But yeah, that messenger makes it to Giza, and just as it's getting close, she's like, "Nope, you're too close. I'm gonna take control of you." So she whistles and takes control of it, and it approaches her um, with the respect that she wants it to. And um, it's a love letter, and she's like, "This is this is not it." And <laughs> she's just like, "Nope, your name is wrong. Don't don't care." Um, and she's like, "You can surrender." Or uh, you can be dead. And he decides no. Uh, so she attacks. Wilhelm flees. And uh, Gisa ends the story writing a letter to Garolf saying that she's coming to him. And Garolf is like, please, no, no, please, no.
0: <laughs> I uh, I love Gisa's character so much. <laughs> and one of my, my favorite details is, like you said, uh, Wilhelm writes this like love letter to him to her and he like sends it to her and she opens it and it's like it's bad it's not good um <laughs> but when she reads it the it's signed off Wilhelt and she gets upset that he would dare say that his name is Wilhelt as if she didn't remember his name correctly Wilhelm Willem Wil, Wil, Wilham, Wilhelm did you know that Willem Defoe's first name is actually William
2: oh is this a screen actors guild thing
0: yeah I think so but well, yeah his first
2: name is really actually
1: well. William yeah that he's changes just, everything for me. He's yeah, just I,
2: William the foe. I had no like, oh my god. Really? Wow. Thank you, Screen uh, Actors Guild of America. Uh
0: anyways, yeah, I love <laughs> I love Gisa. I thought I Will, Will feels to me like he has sent a ton of DMs to uh Gisa <laughs> and they're sitting in her message request unread. <laughs> Like we seems like the kind of guy who would uh, send you a message that just had just says we're going on a date on this day at this time here. Like he doesn't ask. He just shows up and is like, you are going to be my queen. Uh, and she's I, like, oh,
2: gross. I think you're giving him too much credit. I think he sent unsolicited pictures
0: of a certain type. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no one wants pictures of rotten meat in your DMs. Um, will he also just dies by like getting hit by a tree. <laughs> like he's he's a woodcutter and he's just out in the woods and like he runs into Gisa, falls in love with her and it immediately gets killed by a falling tree. This man is just <laughs> pitiful. <laughs> God. And then Gisa, the way she talks about him, the way she talks, her voice is so good shanen did a great job with this piece i love this story so much um i laughed out loud a whole lot so do um,
2: i it, it was it was hilarious oh man
0: yeah and then the, the ending with with garof saying most oh, certainly not yours Garoff," <laughs> <laughs> which is exciting because we know we're getting a Garoff card in the next set which means we'll probably get a Garoff story which means we'll get a continuation um, oh, my God, I hadn't even given yeah. any consideration, but that's hilarious. I cannot wait. <laughs> my hope is that they got Seanan McGuire to write that story for the next set as well, um, because Shannon has done such a wonderful job with Gisa uh, in this story. I thought she did a fantastic job of capturing that character in a way that was fun and enjoyable to read. And I hope that she continues that trend for the next one, because uh, it would... I mean, I trust, you know, another writer will do it well, but come on, is just so good.
2: Killing it. Just killing it.
0: Yeah, literally, there's just a lot of killing happening. Um, <laughs> Though, if you think about it, no one dies in this story. Everyone's already dead. So even though we get grisly descriptions of, like, zombies being torn to pieces by birds and other zombies and stuff, they're already dead.
2: I mean, technically, we get a flashback of... Uh... Wilham's
0: <laughs> death. <Will> <laughs> <Hover>. <laughs> getting crushed by a tree. That's true. That is true. Um, but yeah, this is this is a great story. I love zombies. I love Gisa. I bought the Will Commander deck almost ex- exclusively so I could own a car, a copy of Ghouls Night Out. Yeah, Ghouls Night Out is just the best name for a Magic card that they've ever and it's ever so
2: made. it's so in flavor for Gisa like Gisa is gisa is reminds me of like the 90s show valley girl who doesn't who has no clue about how things really should work in the world because she's been like in privilege she's like clueless but raising people from the dead um like (laughs) she she's she's like oh my god she's the kind of person that just knows every, the world revolves around her. No, like, no doubt. Like, her brother is there to entertain her and she will not have any, like, she will not be convinced of anything that is that is to the contrary of that. So, but she does it with a flair that is awesome and I love it and I cannot wait to see. Like, I don't care for the Plane of Innistrad, but if I can get more Geese and Goral stories, I'm
0: all about it. I uh, I personally hope that at some point Liliana shows up and says to her, you took control of my entire zombie army and laid siege to Thraben until no one was left alive. And then Gisa goes, what? Like it was hard or something? <laughs> <laughs> just just absolutely legally blonding it. Um, Love it. But uh, Yeah. Uh, I would love to get Sean in on the podcast at some point. I'm sure she'd be down to talk about it. Um, So we should, we should look into that. Uh, That would be, I think really cool. Um, Hopefully if she gets stories for next set, maybe we can talk about them, but uh, I feel like
1: there's like just such a consistent through line with Innistrad that I don't think we've gotten with other plane returns as effectively, like for the, like, Gisa and Gerolf, or Gerolf, um, however it is pronounced, um, were around for the original Innistrad, writing letters to each other. That was like the Micaius, the Unhallowed preview article, because that was part of the Siege of Thraven, and one of the few stories we got for um, that original set, or that original block. And then we had Shadows of Rannistrad, Aldrich Moon, and we got games during that time, which was a riot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... I don't know, it's just like, there's just something so charming about being able to come back to a plane, and having, like, obviously their relationship dynamic has kind of changed, like you know it's changed in that they've changed their responsibilities, but they're both still being the same characters (laughs) that they were in the originals, Um, but I don't know, like, there's something about Innistrad in particular, where it's just like, it feels like one of the first modern worlds that has gotten like deep returns and has popular characters that people like some of the first characters that ever went from um flavor text like all stars to cards themselves with gisa and groff um it's just like i don't know it's so entertaining to just get to see characters that you know again and uh i think that just brings like this second return to Inestrad full circle and makes it feel like it has been the same plane the entire time, even though like everything has changed. These two uh shitheads are still going about their business. <laughs> and I don't know, I just wish there were more like you you can't make fan favorite characters for every single plane, but I feel like there are fan favorite characters for every plane. And when you get those ones on return, like it's just kind of like it feels like a homecoming. There you go.
0: I, I feel like part of the, the difference between like Innistrad and a place like Zendikar is that Innistrad's fan favorite characters are all just fun. Like yes. Gisa, yes. Garolf, Olivia, Like these are the characters people love because they're I mean,
1: fun. And it's also just like they're unhinged maniacs on a plane that is consistently trying to kill them. <laughs> and like not that Zendikar's not trying to actively kill people but yeah it's just
0: well here's the thing they're they're trying to, they're trying to kill the plane back though yeah. on Zendikar they're just like suffering on here they're just like look yeah everything here wants us dead so come at me let's do it let's I think
2: it's mainly because on Zendikar we don't get enough goblin stories
0: mm, true. yeah that's true but there's no goblins on Innistrad
1: yeah i also i also do feel like it's partially because these two have such a good comedy <laughs> comedy bit going on here. <laughs> so we're like nothing could significantly happen to either of them. They both interacted with planeswalkers, like Grolf met Liliana, um, and Gisa was hanging with Nahiri the last time. But it's like none of them let neither of them let that get to their heads. They're just like, oh, these were just people we met and also like we're still at war with each other. So
0: uh also to note in this story, a thing that I thought was interesting, uh, Gisa, when when talking about um, Wellhelt coming back from the dead on his own, uh, she says, a sloppy work, if you ask me, any fool can plant a bush. It takes a master to shape that bush into an elephant. Do we have any other references to elephants on Innistrad anywhere? Like, is this the first confirmation that elephants are on
1: Innistrad?
2: No. I think so. I can't remember... We I got a weird
1: there's... reference last story I almost brought up this conversation for, and I was <laughs> like, no, because it's not worth nitpicking whether this thing is actually on in astrad or not
0: well, i I was just wondering because it just made me think about the fact that like, there's so many planes where we really don't know like the biodiversity of the plane. We don't yeah. really know that much about it. And so it's just, it stuck out to me a little bit to to read a reference to an elephant and be like, oh, so elephants exist on on Innistrad somewhere, but like we so don't, we have... are they're just like elephants running around the Kessig Woods or something, and we're just unaware of it? Um, so yeah, we we have never gotten any kind of
2: elephant card on an Innistrad set. I've just confirmed it, but I'm sure if we were to go to any other the other continent on Innistrad, there might be elephants there, and maybe that's where they
1: heard about them. Yeah. That was also one of the other things that's like Innistrad was just set up intelligently. Like there wasn't, mm-hmm. they made it very clear that like we're only seeing like a fraction of the world and like there could be other stuff out there. And the more that they do that, the more appreciative I am of it, because it's like, I don't, I don't care for only seeing the continent of Ixalon on the plane of Ixalon Like, at least we know that there's opportunity to pull stuff in if they ever needed to for any story or mechanical reason that they had
0: um i'm just imagining that there's like another continent where things are just normal it's just like (laughs) normal normal life there's no vampires or werewolves or like zombies or anything and that other continent right now is just pissed off because like the dark just keeps coming sooner everything's kind of cold and they're like what's going on or
2: or maybe the
0: sun is just spending more time on that
2: side of the world
0: Ooh, maybe they're getting like really baked. Like, maybe like it's like global warming times two there. What if they're being turned into a desert? And what if like the only way people can survive on that desert is if they live in like one city that's under a barrier you call like the Hekma? No. Um, God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> See, it can't be, it can't share a plane with Cat because Cat exists inside of Nickel Bolas' gem. So, but,
2: but wait, what if there are dinosaurs on that side of the world? <laughs>
0: Oh, what if there's like a whole? What if there are vampires, but they formed like a like a a legion of some kind? Yeah. Like a. You do legion know of that d-
1: there's like uh there's a quote unquote canon um bit of information that there were elves on Innistrad before and they went extinct. Boo! <laughs> so so Boo. so this is only this is this is my only tangent of the episode. I promise. Ah, uh, it's from like a. Pax, i think panel that the world building team did with the original innistrad um and i think somebody offhandedly mentioned like oh in the style guide there it said there were elves and that they went extinct and then somebody else commented like yeah we, we weren't able like we weren't going to necessarily use that tidbit of information but since you said it um and like This would be entirely forgotten to the corridors of history if it wasn't for, I think, like Cool Stuff, Inc. at the time. Um, Mana Nation, maybe, I believe was their name. They had recorded it and posted it on YouTube, so now it lives there forever, and now everybody has easy access to that reference. And it's like elves have never been referenced on Innistrad since. Nobody's ever made mention to it, but I'm pretty sure it's still on the Wiki wiki page that elves existed there and went extinct because it got you know, mentioned in a panel exactly once, and then immediately derided as something they weren't going to use.
2: <laughs> Boo. Yeah. Need underground elf covens.
1: Well, I mean, like, I don't know. I just I like that kind of idea that there was like, there were more magical races or more, I guess, typical fantasy races on Innistrad, and they <laughs> just got slaughtered because they were easier to target than humans, and maybe humans were the last resort, and that's how Soren bought like 5,000 years between um, knowing that there was an issue and actually trying to solve the issue. But we all know he's a procrastinator anyway, so.
0: All right. Well, um, any, any last thoughts about week four of story? I just want to say, I think they're great. Uh, I think if you're not reading them, you absolutely should be. Please don't use our brief summaries and recollections of the story as your only way of interacting with them. Uh, Reading them is, is fun. Uh, and they're good so please do that i think they're just wonderful pieces of web fiction i'm glad we're getting them uh otherwise if no one else has thoughts we can move on to final thoughts brian um, since i i took your, yeah, your, was- your i took the first speaking role you have to do final thoughts first
2: <laughs> uh my final thought is that today was my last day at my current employer and it's great. Um, I'm starting, like when you hear this podcast, I will probably be on my way to my new job and it's going to be great. And I can't wait. So always, like, yeah, I, like I probably stayed in my position probably longer than I should have. And it's always good to just, like, I'm, I'm getting to this point net now that I think maybe people should just, the job market is pretty interesting right now. So if you're not super happy with what you're doing, take a look, see what's
0: out there. It doesn't hurt. Yeah, I, uh, I need to, to look around and see. The the shape of the job market has changed quite a bit.
1: Brian, um, can listeners send emails to your former employer saying, you really missed out, you should have kept this one. You should have paid him a lot more.
2: I mean, you <laughs> no. can do that, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not giving you any information to do that. So, good luck.
0: <laughs> well, uh, my final thought is that uh, uh, about... A month after thinking I finished the Heavensward expansion of Final Fantasy XIV, I have officially, finally completed the Heavensward expansion of Final Fantasy XIV. Turns out, there's a lot after the, um, it's one of those things where, like, they release the expansion, and there's, like, a, a story that you play through, but then they did, like, three or four major patches after they released the expansion that added more story, and so, like, each of them feels like you're ending the story, but just like the end of Return of the King, like it fades to black and it's like, oh no, but it's still not over. Wait, there's another scene. Okay, fade to black. Oh wait, nope, another scene we have to do. And I I finally finished all of them. Uh completely done with that. So that's nice. It's good. It's good stuff. Good story. I recommend it.
1: And it's free up to what uh, level?
0: Uh I think it's free <laughs> up to level 16 through the, the Heavens Word expansion, actually. I'm not one of those people who proselytizes
1: Final Fantasy 14. I do I, think uh, it's a very funny meme, though. It is. I, don't, funny. I, I have a lot of friends who play it, and um, I tried it out once. And MMOs are not not my thing. But uh, uh,
0: what about the Magic MMO? Magic
1: oh. MMO ARPG. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> oh boy! Oh. My final thought is. Uh, Gideon the Ninth was available for free on tour this past week. And if you did not get it, then you should buy the book and read it because it is a very good book. And as is the sequel, Hero the Ninth, but prepare yourself to be psychologically tortured while reading Hero the Ninth as I was. Um, I I don't think I've read a book that was that confusing. Um, Just like layers upon layers of, things that I didn't understand until I was 60% of the way through. And I'm a horrible person when it comes to understanding things. Like if I'm not understanding a movie, I will just go on the Wikipedia page and read out the explanation as I'm watching it and like get to the finale and just be like, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Like I'm very, (laughs) I'm a horrible person to watch movies with, but, but it's worth it when I do understand the thing and I don't need to do that. So yeah um I don't know. Well, read, I, read Harrow and Gideon.
0: I I love confusing stories. I once read all of Cloud Atlas in one night. Um, that was a good one. But uh, yeah. If um, if you want to discuss uh, cloud Cloud Atlas or uh, Gideon the Ninth or any other books, we have a books channel on our Discord server, uh, which you can access by joining our Patreon at patreon.com/slash/thevorthoscast. For $1 a month, you get access to our Discord server, where orthoses from around the world are gathering to discuss uh, Midnight Hunt story, and when previews for Crimson Val start, please, and please tell me previews for Crimson Val, and um, all sorts of magic-related things. Uh, so you can join that for just $1 a month. Uh, but for $3 a month, you can become one of our live listeners, where we have a... Uh, People just listen to us record the podcast. They hear all of our mistakes, our banter before and after. Um, they get to post distracting jokes while we're we're <laughs> talking. Um, it's great, and uh, you should you should join them. It's just three dollars a month for a live listen, one dollar a month for our Discord. We appreciate all of the support we get, uh, and hopefully, sometime very soon, uh, we'll have something really cool to share with y'all that a uh, Patreon paid for. So hopefully, um, yeah, but. That'll be in the future. So just keep listening. Uh, Brian, do you want to see us out? Because this is like a great time to do the, the, the goodbye.
2: Sure. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos cast.
0: Wow, that was like a really smooth
2: ending.